listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. How God, in His plan and in His understanding of why you and I are here, had this picture that sometimes we have a hard time seeing. And we went back and we've been looking through Scripture and, and really trying to grasp and really understand how we fit into this picture, how we fit into the ultimate heart that God had for humanity and for his church. We've read in the, in the last big prayer that Jesus ever prayed and last conversation that he ever had with his followers just before he was getting ready to leave this earth. In John chapter 17, we've been dissecting this, this dialogue and there's this one passage of prayer where Jesus is literally crying out to God and he is saying a prayer that he was not just limiting to his followers that were with him that day, but he was looking down thousands of years and he was seeing us and he was praying for us. And, and we've looked at this prayer and, and, and we've found that in this prayer, Jesus literally says these words. He says, I pray that they, meaning us, would all be one. I pray that they would all be one, just as you and I are one, as he's talking to his father. And then he says about us, let them experience perfect unity. And then this is the kicker, so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. Jesus literally lays out in this prayer one of the biggest mysteries and secrets that many of us miss out on in this day and age. And that mystery and that secret, that, that key that unlocks the magnificent lock of the love of God is this, that in order for the world to truly see God and his love, it has to be shown through his church. It has to be shown through us. And the way that it is shown is even deeper. It says, when they become one, then the world will get it. How many of you here tonight have somebody in your family that just doesn't get it? How many of you have friends that you've talked to that just doesn't, they just don't get it? They look at that religion, they look at the world, they look at Christianity, they look at you, they look at your faith, and they just, they, they weigh it out and they just go, something just doesn't add up. There must be more to this because this just doesn't seem like a complete picture. It's because they're not seeing a complete picture. See, when Jesus began this three-year ministry here on earth, he began taking steps that would ultimately lay out a model and an example for us to follow. And in this, there was some very strategic things that he did. And one of them was bringing us back to this understanding that God is a relational God. That everything that Jesus did pointed back to this father-son, father-daughter relationship. The way that Jesus prayed was so different than the, the praying leaders of their day he talked to God as if God was close to him. He talked to God as if he was his daddy. He even called him Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. And Jesus brought God into this understanding that God is not far away and he's not interested in this rigid, totally formal relationship. He wants to be involved in your lives. And at its core, Jesus modeled for us a story of a family that had been torn apart. He modeled for us a story of a father who had had his children ripped from his arms. A father who lost his kids and has been looking for them ever since. 
Jesus modeled for us this concept of relational relationship with God. And then Jesus begins to unfold it in an even deeper way. As we began to look at Scripture, we learned that Jesus was very interested in us coming together as family. He talked about it over and over and over again. Everything he did was bringing people together and talking about the family of God and how we are truly one in God. The Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians this concept of sharing each other's burdens, of truly coming together with people in our lives to where it's not a relationship that's very formal and it's disconnected, but it's a relationship that gets involved in each other's stuff. We've talked about the fact that I can't fix you and you can't fix me. And many times when we come to church, we come because we think that we need to get fixed. And if I get around good people, well, maybe it'll rub off on me. But we've come to understand that the only thing that I can truly offer to you is the same thing that I need in my life. And that's somebody who will commit to me and say, I'm committed to walk through this life with you no matter what comes. I can't fix you, but I'll be here for you. And I will learn to share your burdens. I will learn to help you carry the load. I will be there when you go through whatever it is that you're going to go through. We begin to understand this concept of family. But tonight we're going to take it even deeper. Tonight we're going to take it into some scary places for many of us. Because in order for us to truly understand what it is to be family, in order for us to truly understand this concept of being connected to each other in a spiritual and a relational way, we have to understand that one thing has to occur in our dynamics with each other and with God. And that one thing that must occur is trust. Trust is something that has to happen in order for you and I to receive the understanding of what God truly had in his heart for us to be one. Oneness is one of those interesting things because a lot of times we think that in order for us to have unity or to be one, we have to agree on everything. That's not the truth. Unity is truly this bigger than us concept of coming together through relationship, being committed to the same common cause and the same understanding of why we are and what we're doing and where we find ourselves in this process. In John chapter 14, we find a very, very telling story of Jesus talking to his followers. And he begins to talk to them in a very intimate fashion. Read these words with me. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, but trust also in me. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you. Why would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we even know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know 
who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You and I in this world, we crave clarity. How many of you have ever prayed, God, I just want to understand. Give me direction. I just want to know what comes next. I just want to know where I fit in, in this world that I live. I just want to know something that I can count on. I just want to know something that I know isn't going to change. We, we just absolutely crave clarity. I can't think of something more that would just satisfy my heart than just to look down the next five years of my life and be able to just see it right there. Oh my God, I would just do backflips to be able to just know what's going to come next. To just see where my life is going to be. And I know that many of you here tonight have that same desire where you just want to know what's next. Why? Because our life sometimes seems so blurry. Because we look around and we see so many things that are uncertain. We have relationships that seem to be disintegrating right around us. We can't tell whether or not our job is going to be around six months from now. I've only got enough money to be able to pay the bills this week. What about next week? On and on and on it goes in a life of uncertainty. We want clarity. And yet in this conversation that Jesus is having with his followers, that Jesus is having with his family, he begins to lay out a different way. He begins to lay out the way of trust. He begins to lay out this concept that though we want clarity, God wants us to trust him. That though we want to know what's coming next, God says, I want to take care of you. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through this crazy Bible study that's just rocking our world. And in this Bible study, it's been teaching us this amazing concept that many of us, through the course of our Christian walk or through our religious experience, have walked unbeknowingly into this room that we'll call the room of pleasing God. It says it right over the sign of the door. We walk right into it and it says, this is the room that leads to pleasing God. And on the surface, we think this is where I need to be. This is where I need to go because I want my life to please God. And so we just march into this room only to find that this room is full of people with the best of intentions but they're all wearing masks. And their masks keep them from getting real with God and with themselves and ultimately with each other. 
And as we've been going through this Bible study, we've realized that in the book of Hebrews, it talks about a different way of knowing God. And it literally says in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith or without trust, it's impossible to please God. And we've begun to take steps backwards to leave that room of striving to please God. And we've walked over towards another room. And over the sign of this room, it has another door with a sign that says the room of trusting God. And we've begun the slow, scary process of walking into that room with a bunch of other people that don't know what's going to come next and don't have it all figured out and don't know what's going to come of us. But we believe one thing. That one thing is that God wants us to trust him. And so we're going through this journey together. But one of the things that we've learned in this journey is that in order for us to walk through that door, it takes great humility. It takes great humility for me to walk into a room with a bunch of people that I don't know and getting real with them. And we've learned together that many of us are gripped with pride. Many of us have so much pride inside of us that we and realize what pride looks like, but we've learned that pride at its core says, I will take care of me. That's what pride really is. You can fashion it all kinds of ways, but pride at its end of its day says, I will take care of me. And so we've learned that in order to go into the room, it requires humility. And what is the opposite of I will take care of me? It's I will let you take care of me. See, humility is when I learn to trust you with me. Oh, man, that's scary. That's scary stuff. I want you to say some words with me. You ready? You don't have to say them if you don't want to, but I invite you to repeat these words with me. Say these words. Say, I need to trust God and others with me. Say it again to yourself. Just say it in a way that convinces yourself, I need to trust God and others with me. I need that. I need to trust you with me. See, as we go back to this story, it's very, very important that you understand that Jesus is talking here just like one of us. He's not standing in this group of disciples as this huge spiritual, divine, Godhead figure in that moment. He's standing there shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye with a bunch of men, and he is saying to them, look, I'm your brother, and you need to trust God, but you also need to trust me. He says, trust God. We all need to trust God, but I'm right here. I'm your brother, and I need you to trust me. You need to trust me. In other words, Jesus was modeling for you and I what it looks like to get real with people. And as he shares in this story about this understanding of what it means to trust each other, he goes even further. He goes into this concept of why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? Jesus begins to tell them, look, there's room for you. I am going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. There is room for you. Don't 
have to fear. You don't have to let fear grip your heart. There is room for you. Trust me. I know God, and he will provide for you. Jesus begins to pour out to these guys what it looks like. Jesus, at its core, is saying, let me take care of you. Let me in. Let me share your burdens. Let me take care of you. Why is it so hard for us to trust? I mean, I know there's a lot of good reasons on the surface. I know that some of us come from family lives and we come from backgrounds where we've had people burn us. We've had people do things saying they loved us, but doing something that is completely opposite of love. We come from job experiences where somebody says that they got your back only to turn around and stab at the next moment so that they can get one up on you. We come from a world that is always doing something and saying another. So there's a lot of reasons why we don't trust. But there's one core reason why I can't trust you and why I can't trust God. And that core reason always comes back to this one simple thing. I can't trust because I'm afraid that you're not going to take care of me. I can't trust because I have a fear of not being taken care of. There's something inside of me that continually lies to me in every situation that I face that says, Jason, take matters into your own hands. You can do it better. Don't trust them. Something's going to go wrong. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Just, just you got to do it for you. Anybody else ever heard those voices in your head? Everywhere we go, we see this struggle back and forth that says, I'm not going to get taken care of. Just know it. I'm going to get let down again. I just know it. Continually back and forth. And every single time, it's a struggle between pride and humility. I'm going to take care of me or I'm going to let someone else take care of me. Pride and humility. I told you guys this was going to get scary tonight. Some of you guys are like, oh man, a little heavy for me. When we have been talking about this, this concept of going into this room, of learning to trust God, we've got a word for it. It's called the room of grace. It's the room of grace. See, some of you have come in here tonight. Some of you go to other churches. Some of you have no relationship with God. Some of you come in all kinds of different situations in your life that you come to, but what you need to understand is that when you walked through those doors out front, you walked into a room of grace. You walked into an environment that doesn't want to judge you. See, judgment comes from one simple premise. Judgment comes from a standpoint of, I'm right, therefore you're wrong. Or to say it a little bit more plainly, I can fix you. And that's why sometimes we go into certain places and we feel the eyes watching us. We feel people judging us or people looking at us differently because in their eyes and in their mind, without even the bad intentions, they're just doing what comes naturally to all of us. They're just thinking, I wonder if that person needs what I've got. I can fix them. But when you walked in this room tonight, without you knowing it, you walked into a room 
that doesn't believe that we can fix you. See, this is a room that we all come to every week because we need to be fixed, trust me. But we all come to the same place with the same understanding that Jesus is the only one that can heal us. He's the only one that can fix us. He's the only one that can give us what we are dying inside to have. And so as we all gather around him every single week, we are connected through grace. See, when Jesus prayed that prayer so many years ago and he said, Father, you and I are one, he was showing us what a healthy relationship with God Almighty looks like. But he wasn't showing it to us in a way that he was saying, I've got this, but you can't have it. He was saying it like, Father, just like you and I have this, let it be for them too. Make them one. What is it that Jesus was praying for that would connect us together with something so strong that it could never be broken? Was it righteousness, self-righteousness of, oh, I'm so holy now because I've got my life under control. I'm no longer an addict. I don't ever struggle with the things that I used to struggle with. Oh, look at me. That'll make us all connected. No, but isn't that what many of us have experienced? Jesus was praying, Father, connect them together with your grace because the grace of Jesus is the thing that we all need and it's the thing that we all have in common when we experience it the amazing grace of Jesus. And when I look at you and I see a life that is a mess and I look at my life and I see a life that was a mess and still is, what is the similarity between us? My life has been turned upside down by grace. My life has been turned upside down by a God that went past all of the pain and darkness and brokenness and he says, I'm gonna give you what you can't give yourself. And when I see you, I don't see somebody that's homeless. I don't see an addict. I don't see somebody who's in a bad place in, in your relationships or financially or anything. All I see is another heart that needs grace. And when those two hearts are knit together by the same thing, my friend, we have a story to tell. And it's the same story. It's the story of being an orphan without a home and being brought into the family together. And there is nothing that can tear us apart because now we are one. We're in the same family. We've been brought together under the same circumstances and we are one. As Jesus is talking here in this story and he begins to say some strong words in verse number 10, he says to his disciples, he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus says, the words that I speak are not my own. They're my Father's who lives in me and does his work through me. Jesus is saying to us in this moment and in this prayer, everything that you hear me saying, everything that you experience me talking about is living proof of the intimacy and the unity of the family of God. And he says, it's not exclusive. It's not just between me and my father. He says, this is the model for you. Our father, the Holy Spirit of God, lives inside of us. 
If you and I were to say the same things, we could say it just like this. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. The works that I do are not my own, but they're the works of God through me. How many of you have ever experienced one of those crazy conversations with somebody where you're hearing their words, but you know them and you're just like, those aren't your words. You're just not that good. God is talking through you right now. And it just is perfect. And you're just like, wow, that is exactly what I needed to hear right now. And you walk away from that conversation without any doubt that God was coming alive in that person just for you. Jesus is showing this same exact thing. And this is the thing that blows my mind, is that grace is the thing that this world is crying out for more than anything. It needs it so bad, but it is so broken. Because the picture that we put on display for the world is a church over here with 100 people and they've got this form of grace. And then we've got another uh, family and fellowship over here with a few hundred people and their grace message, it looks a little different this way. And I've got all these churches and put it all on display and it looks nothing like the same. And Jesus is saying, make them one. Why was he so intent on us having this concept of unity and for us being able to truly show the world what God looks like through us. It's because of this one simple thing. You and I are the administers of grace here on the earth. You and I are the grace givers. God originated grace. God is the one that showed us grace. But then he says, I'm going to use you to spread grace. I'm going to use you to be the ones to administer it everywhere that this world needs it. You're the ones who carry the grace of God. I wish that it were so that God somehow just magically just gave it to us without you and I involved in the transaction. But Jesus in this passage shows us something different. He says, the Father is in me and the works that you have seen me do are because of our intimacy. And Jesus is saying to us tonight that you and I are the ones that give the grace. We are the ones that tell the world what God really looks like. It's an interesting thing to think about. Family history. I don't know if any of you ever have people in your family that are into the family tree you know, the, the lineage and finding out your ancestry and your, and your roots and, and all of the different places that you come from if you study your name and, and where your, your uh, relatives came from. My, my son and I, as you guys know, I've told you so many stories about our trip back to the East Coast recently and going back to New York and going to the literal place, Ellis Island, where so many people came from all over the world into the United States for the first time and how they experienced so many different things. I'm I'm watching, you know, they've done such a great job of putting on display this picture and this story for many people to understand what these immigrants went through as they came into the harbor and they came onto the shores of America and for the first time what their experience was coming here. But As I got there, what gripped me the most was how diverse the experiences were for so many people. 
There were some people that got there and the first thing that they had when they stepped onto the American shores was they had somebody examining them to see if they were sick or not. They wanted to know if they had any kind of illnesses or diseases. They actually wanted to know whether they were mentally okay. They had all kinds of these, these, these tests that these people had to go through in order for them to even stay in America and the tests were archaic. I was, I was doing some of these tests, and I got to tell you, I probably would have barely stayed. I mean, there were some of these things they were putting people through, and I'm just like, oh man, I'm sure glad I didn't go through this. But some of these people experienced horrific, absolutely horrific experiences because they came over with their whole family. Can you imagine being an eight-year-old boy and you've got maybe six or seven siblings and all of you get lined up and all of you get examined and all of you get tested and one out of the six or seven has to be quarantined because maybe you've got some signs of illness or something and they took you and they put you in an isolated area with all of the other people that they wanted to watch and the rest of your family had to go. They didn't keep you together. You had to leave. And all of a sudden, something that was going to be so beautiful, so life-changing, was now horrific and tragic and brought pain. It was all kinds of these stories. And I was sitting there. I was literally crying as I'm walking through, just looking at all of these experiences that people went through. And I was gripped with this concept of the message of America. The Statue of Liberty. Bring me your whatever. Everybody come, whatever. All of these messages that everybody around the world hears, but when they got here, there was something different waiting for them. And I wonder sometimes, how many of you, and how many of myself included, have experienced something completely different than what we have been told the grace of Jesus is all about? Many of us have been told about the family of God only to find that our experience with it is very exclusive. And you've got to toe the line, and you've got to look right, and you've got to speak right, and you've got to have your stuff together, and you've got to deal with all of the stuff that makes you look maybe out of place for the family. And the experience that we've been having is not one of grace. And as we sit here tonight, and as we see this interaction with Jesus, we realize that Jesus makes some very bold claims. He says some things like, ask anything, and I'll do it. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. And I wonder if you and I can say the same to each other as the family of God. I wonder if you and I could be so bold as to say, I am committed to you no matter what. I don't care what your theology, I don't care what your creed, I don't care what your background. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, then we are brothers. Ask anything of me and I will do it. Because I see in you the understanding that is bigger than anything else that I've ever seen on this planet. I wonder what would happen to the Church of America, if we began to see our brothers and our sisters, no matter where you worship, no matter what style you enjoy, no matter where you come from in your understanding of Scripture and your theology, for us to come together and say, I will do anything for you. Ask. 
We are the administers of God's grace. We are the ones that Jesus has brought here into this world for us to be able to experience the beauty of the oneness of God. But at a deeper level, we are the example. We are the living, breathing picture of God that convinces the world that he's real and that he loves them. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Would you pray with me? I'm going to have Bob and the band come on back up here. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com. 